Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Dallas Cowboys. This is the Cowboys Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Cowboys Wire editor, K.D. Drummond. KD, my man, I think we, we might as well start with some of the big news coming out of well, at least some reports around the Cowboys is that Mike Nolan, the defensive coordinator, is not expected to return in 2021. We know Jerry Jones has come out and uh, emphatically stated that Mike McCarthy will be back, and it's ridiculous to state otherwise, which I want to get your take on. But nobody's come out and you know really aggressively said Mike Nolan's going to stick around, right? And I think we all kind of see the writing on the wall with these reports. So uh, what do you think about your guy? Okay, it's not your guy. Mike Nolan's not yeah. your guy, as I know, <laughs> as I know for doing this pod with you for a couple months. I know. What's your thoughts here on Mike Nolan probably not returning in 2021? I don't think you're surprised, are you, Katie? I, I am not surprised in the least bit. Uh, I, I say it all the time. When I'm grading moves in the offseason, I have a lowest possible grade that I will go because I am – not necessarily an optimist. I'm a pragmatist. I understand that we don't know everything and, and things can always turn out a different way than we expected. So the lowest grade that I ever give out when it comes to all season grades is going to be a C minus. If it's a free agent signing, a draft pick, a coach signing, whatever the case may be, I, the lowest I'll go is a C minus because I need to leave room for error. I gave Mike Nolan a C minus. So if you're grading on a curve, you know how I felt about the hire. It made no sense when you looked at his track record of uh, the most recent defensive coordinator stops on his resume, his overall body of work. I believe he had something like 30 different seasons where he was either a defensive coordinator or a head coach, which means that he was in charge of the defense still. And he's basically a 500 guy uh, as far as his rankings. So he had rankings that were, you know, some that were in the top 10, but he had just as many bottom 10 defenses in the league as he did top 10. And recently, in his recent stints of the D.C. or head coach, the defenses were not good at all. So I, I had a very firm eyebrow raised when that was the announcement that Mike McCarthy made that that was going to be a defensive coordinator. And lo and behold, uh, he was stubborn. He did not take into account the fact that there was going to, you know, that the pandemic was going on, that they didn't have a chance to implement all of these changes that he had going and he was basically stubborn to the fact that I'm sure he saw that this wasn't a good defense in training camp, and he still decided that he was going to go with this, uh, convert all of these 4-3 players into 3-4. Now, you know, there's a lot to be said about that. A 4-3 a defense and a 3-4 defense, they look exactly the same when you go to nickel, because the Cowboys run four down linemen when they play nickel. But still asking on early downs to Marcus Lawrence to play with his hand up. They had Everson Griffin for a while before they released him playing with his hand up, and the things that they were asking the guys to do in the secondary, you know, it feels like 20 years ago that there was an anonymous league that the coaches didn't know what they were doing that was earlier this season you know it just feels like a <laughs> yeah. whole another lifetime ago right totally so all in all, I'm not surprised that this has been said, that the r rumors are now that, uh, you know, the Cowboys have basically decided to move on from Mike Nolan. The writing was on the wall. Um, it, it's you never like to see the man suffer. You know what I'm saying? Like we talk about things in, in terms of our love for the Cowboys, how much we want to see the team succeed and what's best for the team. There is a man associated with this and it's about to get fired. So you always take that into consideration when you're talking about this stuff. But as the football coach portion of Mike Nolan, he definitely has to go. It, it has not been a fun year for the Dallas Cowboys defense. No doubt. And we can, uh, we can attach the rumor to the Dallas morning news. I think that was put out there on Twitter and 
Yes. And uh, so it's it's not a huge secret right now. This is out this is out there. Who do you think could be next in line now? Defensive coordinator going into next year. That's going to be a it's going to be a hot topic in the off season. Uh, if this does indeed go the way we think it's going to go, and I think I think the writing's on the wall here. I mean, I've I did some googling. I, I've heard people already kind of throwing names out there. Uh, names that Cowboys fans would be familiar with, uh, like a like a George Edwards. So if like yep. an in-house kind of hire, uh, a guy who I think is going to have a job next year somewhere, maybe in Vegas. A uh, Wade Phillips. He's a guy that's connected to the Cowboys. He's had some good defense. I don't know if the Cowboys would want to, you know, go back to that thing and bring Wade back. But who, who, who would top your list? Like I'm sure at some point in the offseason, Katie for Cowboys, why you're going to do? Uh, here, here's the top five candidates I want for the defensive coordinator, right? And you're going to do that thing. You know, who, who would well, top it, your list right now? It, it's very hard to do. Like last year, I ran a power rankings for potential head coaches. Head coaches are easy yeah. because you know who's out there in college. You know who the hot assistants are. You know who's uh, a former head coach that's you know on the job market. Those sorts of things are easy. But when it comes to defensive coordinator, a lot of that is going to be dictated by the other positions that get uh, the other coaching staffs that get re, uh, relieved of their duties across the league because you can't promote from an assistant, from a position coach to a coordinator. That's still considered a lateral move. Mm-hmm. So unless uh, unless a team gives you permission, you really don't know which of those guys are going to be available right now. So it's very hard to say, okay, well, this defensive line coach, this secondary coach, these are the guys that you think can be promoted. George Edwards is the easy one. And uh, my partner on my Catch and Spade podcast, Patrick Walker, uh, he's been saying this from the jump since basically week four. <laughs> George Edwards was brought in as the senior defensive consultant. Yeah. And maybe, possibly, Mike McCarthy said, I'm going to do my guy Mike Nolan a favor and hire him, but if it doesn't work out based on his track record, at least I'll have somebody in a year early that's familiar with what this defense has as far as the talent base and what they're capable of doing, and I can move him into the role of defensive coordinator because as people know, George Edwards was Mike Zimmer's defensive coordinator all the way up until this past season in Minnesota when Minnesota ended up cleaning house and kind of rearranging underneath of Mike Zimmer. So he has defensive coordinator experience, and he's in-house he has familiarity now one year in with all of the talent that Dallas has and he would be an easy transition to make my counter argument to that is we don't know how much influence George Edwards is having right now. He might have been involved the entire time and Mike Nolan is the one that's getting all of the uh, all of the vitriol from the fan base and George Edwards could have had something to do a major part to do with what this defense has done. So I don't know necessarily that you have to keep somebody from this defensive staff. It might be a scenario where you're looking at washing everybody out of the picture and then going from there. Um, they didn't have a lot of experience when it came to the defensive back uh, Al Harris uh, brought, over, brought over from Kansas City. He was a safeties coach in Kansas City when Eric Berry had his best years. But Eric Berry was one of those, you know, supreme, supremely talented type of guys. Uh, they brought in Mo Linguist, uh, the defensive backs coach from Texas A&M. He had a big reputation as an up-and-comer guy. But we don't know whether these are the guys that the anonymous player was saying don't know what they're doing. It didn't have to necessarily be about Mike Nolan. It could have been one of these position coaches. So there's so much up in the air about hiring somebody from inside the organization or who you're keeping on the defensive staff that I I don't really see a reason to speculate before we get to the end of the year. And once we get that first week of firings and we know which staffs are moving where and we kind of get a little bit better sense of who's going to be available on the market, uh, I think it's just all speculation right now. And I really don't have a a favorite in, in the race right now. All right, I like it. That all makes perfect sense to me. And I think we should pick up this conversation on the other side. I think this is an interesting one. And also... 
How do we feel about that win over Cincinnati? We feel good about it? We don't? Like, you know, how you feeling, Cowboys Nation? Let's do that coming up next. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit up, start up. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from thehuddle.com. It's week 15 of the fantasy football season, and if you're listening, that likely means you have advanced in the fantasy football playoffs. I'm Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com, here to help you with some strong plays to get you into the championship round. This one may make gamers uncomfortable, but Jalen Hurts, the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles at the Arizona Cardinals, is a strong play. In the last seven weeks, five different quarterbacks have at least 22 fantasy points against Arizona, and three of those efforts were good for at least 26 fantasy points. The two bad games came from Cam Newton and Daniel Jones. Hurts, a rookie, made his NFL debut as a starter last week and he acquitted himself well enough. His major upside comes from his legs, but the game wasn't too big for him in last week's debut. That said, he's best to use in two quarterback setups. Running back Jeff Wilson Jr. at the Dallas Cowboys. The 49ers may be without Raheem Mostert once again with another ankle injury. And Wilson is the likeliest place to turn for the offense that is struggling for a spark after poor quarterback play and the loss of Debo Samuel. Only Houston has allowed more rushing yards per game in 2020 and the position has scored 13 times on the ground versus Dallas. Wilson may struggle the matter without finding the end zone, so understand there is a little bit of a gamble here. Wide receiver Keelan Cole of the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore has given up four touchdowns in his past three outings, and the positional defense has been relatively soft in that time. It ranks 39% easier to exploit than the league average, and nine receivers have at least 10 PPR points against the Ravens in the last four games. Don't be scared off by the name brand of the matchup. Cole benefits from having Gardner Minshew back in the lineup and offers utility as a wide receiver three or a flex in PPR set. Herb Smith Jr., the Minnesota Vikings versus the Chicago Bears. Prior to missing a few games with various injuries, Smith has flashed a few times, going for 10 points or more in three of the four appearances before getting hurt. He returned in week 11, only to get injured for two more weeks. Then he came back for a line of 4-63-1 against Tampa Bay last week. The Bears are the second weakest defense in the last five weeks at controlling tight ends, and if Kyle Rudolph sits one more time, Smith is a strong play for a touchdown in this divisional matchup. For more fantasy football news, tips, and advice, be sure to check out thehuddle.com. All right, Katie, so how should we feel about this W over Cincinnati? On one, on one hand, you feel good for a guy like Andy Dalton, right? A guy who was thrusted into action this year. Not sure how much he thought he was going to be playing. Probably zero. He thought he was going to be watching Dak <laughs> Prescott tear it up and maybe compete for an MVP award the way Dak started that season. But no, Andy Dalton's playing some football. He gets to hang 30 points on his old team. That's pretty sweet for him as a as a Cowboys fan, you got to feel good good about that, right? When you hang 30 points on somebody, you know there's other franchises out there that are worse off than you, even when you're having a bad season. So that's always a good deal. But on the other hand, as you wrote, the win over Cincinnati does ruin all hope probably for that number three draft slot. And now we're going to be fighting for that number four, number five draft slot in the tank of Palooza. So what do you think about it? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not on team tank, but I do definitely see the virtue of having a higher draft pick than a lower draft pick. So in a season that's lost, I'm not looking for the team to lose on purpose. I want them to play the young guys, get some experience. But if they happen to lose, I just don't have that ruin my day. With all that said, uh, the loss to Cincinnati, I'm sorry, the victory over Cincinnati um, did push them back away from a top three 
pick. Uh, but it was clear Cincinnati is a far worse team than what the Dallas Cowboys are. No doubt. Uh, there's a pecking order in the NFL. You have the New York Jets, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Cincinnati Bengals of the world. And then you have everybody else. The Cowboys are one of the worst teams of everybody else, but they're not as bad as those three teams. So, yeah, it was a great win for Andy Dalton to return to Cincinnati in front of his fans. They, the organization paid him a great tribute. They announced him before the game. They never announced an opposing player. So they showed their appreciation for everything that he had done for that organization. And then he went out there and he whooped their butt. But did he really whoop their butt or was it just Cincinnati kind of coughing the ball up? I'm not saying that they were tanking, but there was another butt fumble. It was pretty incredible. It was a good football. We'll put it that way. It was yeah, it, exactly. There, there was quality football on one side of the coin, uh, but how much can you take from that uh, as far as a sign for future things to come? You know, the Cowboys players, obviously, they were they were celebrating because they were out there giving the effort and, you know, things finally came together for them, but they weren't playing to staunch yourself opponents. So no. I'm a little bit wary to, uh, you know, forecast the rest of their season as being on the come based on what they did against Cincinnati. Yeah. But yeah, Andy Dalton had to be thinking that he was going to be the next Chase Daniel. He was just going to sit on the sideline, collect millions of dollars, hold the clipboard, come in for victory formations, you know, those sorts of things and blow out wins. 100%. Yes. And then everything changed. He came in for a game. He got blasted. He got a, con- a serious concussion. He got COVID. You know, he's earned his money. That man has definitely earned his money for the year compared to what he thought was going to happen for the season. A lot of people have asked me whether or not Andy Dalton should should be the future backup of the Cowboys, whether or not Andy Dalton could command another starting gig in the league. I lean towards neither. I, I, you know, I've, I've said it many times on this show that I'm a big proponent of letting Garrett Gilbert figure out what he is down the stretch of the season. I think it should have happened a long time ago because you knew that you weren't going to make the playoffs. You knew that Andy Dalton most likely is not going to be back in Dallas. So might as well find out if you have a $900,000 solution to back up Dak Prescott, who you're going to have to give $40 million a year in the offseason. Andy Dalton isn't going to come back for just a $3 million. He's going to want the full $6 million of at least that his contract was so far this year. Uh, because if you remember, he signed for $3 million and there were $3 million in playtime incentives. Basically, if he plays uh, the amount that he's played so far, he ends up getting like $4, $4.5 million. And if he takes the Cowboys to the Super Bowl, which obviously isn't happening, he had another you know million plus in bonuses. So he is going to cost a lot of money to back up Dak Prescott. I don't think the Cowboys can afford that based on the cap economics of the fact that we're going to have at least at some level a shrinking cap and definitely less than what the cap was projected when everything happened uh, over the past couple of years and they signed all the contracts that they have. So Prescott's going to cost a lot of money. It doesn't make much sense for them to then have a very expensive backup quarterback as well and then not be able to help the defense because you've re-signed Andy Dalton. So play Garrett Gilbert, let him get some experience, figure out if he's going to be the guy that's going to be able to back up Dak Prescott next year. And then let's Andy Dalton go be the, you know, the early year starting quarterback for a team that drafts somebody like Zach Wilson or Trey Lance or Kyle Trask, and then he'll end up turning it over to them, you know, midway through the year. It, it, I just don't see his future being in Dallas as a wise move. Oh, man, I didn't even know about those hidden bonuses for the uh, the playing time that he wasn't supposed to have. Oh, yeah. Season. Oh, man. So I shouldn't feel bad for him. He's happy to be playing. I mean, I'm sure he was. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's, 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 and that's the other thing He's that good. made me kind of 
Yeah, that's the other thing that made me surprised that the Cowboys were so dead set on playing him. I'm like, the more you play him, the more you have to pay him. Yeah. But, you know, they the Cowboys, I'm sure that they're guys in the front office because the one thing that the Cowboys will never be is dumb when it comes to the money aspect of things. I'm sure that they went out there and said, if we continue to play Andy Dalton, we can continue to be on TV, although they got moved from this Sunday, being Sunday night football, they got flexed into the 1 p.m. slot, uh, but they can continue to market, they can continue to sell merchandise, and I'm sure that they have all of these equations factored in if they remain competitive with a name brand quarterback and people stay engaged, that's worth more money to them than they end up paying him out of the salary. This is what smart businesses do. They have all of that mapped out and navigated. So I'm sure there was some uh, guy in the front office in the financial sector that said it makes more sense to play Andy Dalton. And maybe that played into the role of what Mike McCarthy's decision was. I'm with you. I liked Gilbert in that Steelers game. I would have I would have loved to see more of him by now. But I hope we see him in the last couple of, yeah. in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. So uh, but we, we were talking about the defense last segment and we've talked about a hypothetical where if the Cowboys had a really high draft pick, KD, maybe they trade back and get a bounty for it, get a bunch of picks. What if they end up in, a, you know, a four or a five or a six kind of spot and they decide they want to make the pick? Do you want them to make that selection on defense? Like if you were the GM, what would be? your wish list there for that. I mean, obviously you don't know the board or maybe you've mocked a little bit at this point, but would you want them to a hundred percent go defense first or do you still kind of go with, you know, the game changing talent, even if it's on the offensive side? Yeah, I, I waver. I don't think that you have to be married to any philosophy, and you certainly don't have to be married to any philosophy in December. Um, I think that the way it shakes out, I've done two mock drafts so far this year, and both of them I've traded back. Uh, in the first one, I traded back and selected Patrick Sertain, the second out of Alabama, the corner. Uh, I waffled between him and Caleb Farley, uh, Farley, the cornerback out of Virginia Tech. And then in this latest mock that I did uh, last week, I traded back a couple times to, I think, 1.10 and ended up taking Kyle Pitts, the tight end out of Florida. And my rationale was for that was this. If the Cowboys select defense, they're not if the let me back up. If the Cowboys select a player that they don't think is that crucial stud elite future Hall of Famer player, it's probably going to take him a while to be a difference maker uh, for the defense. And the fact that the Cowboys, if they're going to be competitive for a Super Bowl, they probably will do that on the strength of an offense. So if you're sitting there deciding between a guy that who won't be an immediate difference maker on defense and somebody that could be the cherry on top of a 40-point offense and have the best offense in the league competing with, competing with the likes of Kansas City, I don't mind going there if you spend the rest of your pick and again, we're talking about trading down. So you're having multiple round two picks, multiple round three picks and all of those sorts of things where you can really get five or six impact high quality defenders later in the draft. I don't mind you going offense there. I wouldn't do it for a wide receiver unless they had to trade Amari Cooper because of salary cap reasons. So pitch was really the only guy that I would say if he's in that range, if you've been able to recoup multiple picks later in the draft on day two, maybe even another first round pick for 20. 2022 when you're trade down and pitches there. I don't mind them taking that, but overall defense is still going to be the way to go. And there's not really 
the stud player at any position other than cornerback for the Cowboys to take. There's not a safety that's like an Earl Thomas, you know, a top 10 level talent at the safety position. The defensive tackles aren't impressive. That's another position that the Cowboys need. So I'm concerned about the fact that they're they're kind of boxed into the cornerback role. So if they don't like either Farley or Sertain, um, or there's a couple other guys that could be taken uh, early, J.C. Horn out of um, out of South Carolina and uh, Sante Samuels Jr. There's a couple other guys that might be in the mix to be a top cornerback taken. But if you're not in love with any of those guys, then my, why don't you go and take a transcendent offensive player at a position of need? Because again, Blake Jarwin's coming off an ACL injury and Dalton Schultz has been great in his role, but he's not somebody that the defense would have to scheme around. Kyle Pitts is somebody that the defense will have to scheme around. So that's why I say if it's a player of that ilk, then I don't mind them going offense. But yeah, you know, when all the cards are on the table, defense is probably going to be the way that the Cowboys need to go there. Yeah, I was trying to picture KD uh, trading back in a mock draft. So are you doing that with other humans or do you have like, you know, fake phones on your desk and you're calling, <laughs> doing a fake phone call? Yo, yo we got to trade back. I have an entire war room, my guy. I, I have my own war room. I have 17 phones and I just sit in there with myself and my computer screens. No, um, there, there's a couple different uh, services that I use uh, that, that have mock drafts uh, that you can trade back and you can do those sorts of things. They've really gotten really advanced over the last several years. I'll plug one next week once they renew my free membership. I'll plug <laughs> okay. them next time we do a show. <laughs> I saw a tweet that I knew would get under KD's skin and then uh, I saw him retweet it and quote tweet it. So let's get his take on that thing coming up next. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of Sportsbook Wire and Bet Slippin' Podcast. I'm joined by my colleague Jeff Clark. To break down all you need to know to bet on the Week 15 Monday Night Football game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and Cincinnati Bengals. The Steelers come in as 12-point favorites on the road, minus 110 odds to win by at least 13 points. Jeff, how does Cincinnati and the Bengals cover this 12-point spread at home? Well, Pittsburgh is very one-dimensional right now. Their running game has fallen off the cliff, and even their wide receivers have been dropping balls. So give me the double digits at home with a division opponent. Also, this could be a quintessential look-ahead spot for Pittsburgh, who's got Indy and Cleveland coming up. They've had tough games leading into this. Steelers, well-coached team with Mike Tomlin, lost two games in a row. They need to get back on track. No better spot to do it than against a Bengals team. They beat 36-10. to 10 in week 10 give me the Steelers minus 12 they win by two scores all right one reason KD why I was so excited to uh chat on the pod this week was this Taysom Hill tweet I saw so there's this tweet out there that Sean Payton has found and developed these undrafted prospects both spent three seasons as backups before making their first start. One was Tony Romo, one was Taysom Hill, and you look at all these numbers, and man, they they look really comparable. So, are we now we're comparing Taysom Hill to Tony Romo now? 
I, I know yeah. you can't be happy about that, right? So uh, I'm just going to give you the floor, my guy. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I'm not comparing Taysom Hill to Tony Romo. I'm not in any way, shape, or form. I think it's uh, egregious for them to do that sort of thing. It, they're they're not the same type of quarterback. <clears throat> Taysom Hill is a offensive weapon. He's a uh, gadget player. I, I don't think he has a future in the league of being a you know under center quarterback. He is somebody that has uh, a lot to his game that Sean Payton has actually been able to cultivate. Um, but I don't think outside of the parameters of how Sean Payton uses him, that he is a serviceable quarterback in the league. Tony Romo, when he came into the league, you immediately knew what he was bringing to the table as a passing quarterback. He had a little bit of scramble ability, but his presence uh, under center and being a drop back quarterback was evident from the beginning. Cowboys fans were in love with him from his very early preseason uh, performances before he ever got a chance uh, to actually be under center for Bill Parcells. The comparison that was made was based on several volume stats. And anybody that follows advanced stats in the NFL know that, you know, stuff can be kind of manipulated passing yards, touchdowns versus interceptions, those sorts of things are not always representative of the talent of the quarterback. EPA is one of those stats, uh, advanced stats that gives you a lot more insight into where the quarterbacks are actually performing, uh, basically on a per play basis is it, it's expected points added which basically talks about the value of where they stand as far as getting their team in a position to be likely to score Tony Romo through their first uh, four starts absolutely dominates Taysom Hill uh, Taysom Hill is I believe negative EPA Tony Romo is like 2.6 it's it's a, it's like an egregious gulf in between those two players as far as how they performed in their early starts but that wasn't um, on the team so, that's weird huh how that, yeah that's- it's really funny how that didn't get into the guy's argument. Um, I I believe the guy that made the argument might have gone to school with Taysom Hill or he's at the school that Taysom Hill graduated from or something like that. So, yeah. you know, there was an agenda behind the tweet, but it made its rounds. And, you know, once I got a hold of it and I tweeted it out to Cowboys Nation, uh, everybody kind of jumped on it. And, and um, you know, people were aware of it before because that's how it got to me. Somebody else was Cowboys. Yeah. Cowboys Nation was passing it around. Oh, yeah. uh, but my, my followers had a lot of fun with it as well. It was just you don't say that in any sphere where Cowboys fans can get a hold of you because we are very passionate about our Tony Romo defense. Yeah, and that's a fun thing. You know, when you can kind of, you can take all these stats and you can kind of cut it off here, cut it off there to kind of suit what you want to what you want to do. So it's, you can kind of sculpt it the way you want to do. Just cut it off here. Okay, we're going to do the first four starts. That's what we're going to do. Right. Cut off, right? <laughs> we're not going to include any more, so, uh, or any other stats. So yeah, so that's, that's just fun. I knew you'd like that question, Katie. So we got a noon time start, right? Local time for the Cowboys. It's a new start mm-hmm. for you i know you're probably not all that depressed about that that's probably a good thing for you and your in your life but uh it's, you know, it's a blessing it's great yeah it's great let's <laughs> let's be honest right this matchup with the 49ers looked way sweeter back in september probably i mean what are you looking for in this matchup what's uh you know why you why are you tuning in for this you know, when you when you cover the team, a lot of people don't. And, you know, this isn't a complaint. This is just how what goes with the industry. When you work on a Sunday, if you have a Sunday night game, you're still waking up early because you have to cover and get content out there for the team. So a Sunday night game literally means that you're working from 9, 10 a.m. in the morning 
all the way until 1 or 2 a.m. the next morning. You're literally working the entire day getting articles out because, you know, you got to keep the website popping, then you have to cover the game, mm-hmm. then you have to cover post-game stuff, and it's really a full 18-hour day when the Cowboys play on Sunday night football or Monday night football. And the Cowboys are always playing on Sunday night football or Monday night football. Absolutely. So whenever they steal one of those games and give you that early kick so that you can get your stuff out of the way and you're done writing and working around six, seven o'clock in the evening and you have your Sunday night to kind of just relax and you might have to put up one thing, but you're really not working as hard as you would on a normal day. Blessing. <laughs> Absolute blessing. So I'm looking forward to having all of my Sunday and plus it's going to be it's Christmas week. Yeah. It so is. I'm really looking forward to not having to go into that week having a night game. But as far as the actual matchup, um, what is there to look forward to? They're bad teams. Yeah. You know, you, you want to see the youngsters play. Uh, the Cowboys have a chance. I think a lot of their secondary is going to be available for this game. Uh, Chidobia Wuzier had a uh, proximity to COVID. Mm. Uh, out, He was out for the last game because of proximity to somebody that tested positive. He did not test positive for it, so he will be back. Uh, Second-year safety Donovan Wilson, his groin injury uh, seems to be healed to the point that he will be back. There are rumors that Trevon Diggs might actually get back out there on the field the rookie sensational rookie cornerback who had the broken foot he could be back so I'm really looking forward to seeing some semblance of a professional uh, secondary as opposed to what they trotted out when they were playing Cincinnati last week it's, it boggles my mind Cincinnati could only score seven points against basically the Cowboys seventh eighth ninth and tenth quarterbacks on their depth chart and they could only score seven points that's how bad Cincinnati is yeah Talk about the eyebrow raise, like you said earlier. And be able to really uh, compete on that level. San Francisco is the only NFL team that's worse off when in front than the Cowboys. They're the only ones. Maybe Philadelphia's in that boat too, but at least Philadelphia still has, well, we can't call him the starting quarterback anymore. <laughs> That's not what Carson Wentz is anymore. Nope. But outside of that, uh, San Francisco lost Jimmy Garoppolo. They lost a bunch of talent on their defense. I think they have the number one man games lost in the NFL this year. So they're banged up. They've been holding on. They have five wins. The Cowboys have four. Uh, it is what it is right now. It's basically a suck fest. But the Cowboys, again, right now, they're in the fifth slot when it comes to draft order. They have the same season-long strength of schedule of opponents as the Los Angeles Chargers do, same record, and then there are three or four other teams that are tied with them record-wise but have played a much tougher schedule than the Cowboys, which means that they would come after the Cowboys in the draft order. So all of that is put into play. If the Cowboys win one more game, they're probably going to leave that top five and end up like 10 or 11 in the draft order. So again, I'm not team tank, but I do understand the power that a high draft pick can bring when it comes to being able to trade back and having a better selection of the guys that you're looking for. So even though I'm rooting for the Cowboys to win and I want them to win on every single play, I'm rooting for good things to happen for the Cowboys. In the back of my head, I'm saying, yeah, this is probably going to end up costing them in the draft order. But the positive of that is the Cowboys have generally – generally been good when it comes to using their draft picks. I'm a little bit worried about how they've done in recent years. Uh, the Taco Charlton pick was definitely not the move. They should have grabbed T.J. Watt. Uh, Leighton Vanderish, I wasn't happy about drafting the third best linebacker with your number one, uh, with your first round pick. Uh, and then they fell into C.D. Lamb because, you know, they didn't have a 2019 pick. Good job training for Amari Cooper. And then they got C.D. Lamb in this last one. So I'm really looking for them, if they have choices, for them to make the best 
Yes. There was, there was no choice when it came to CeeDee Lamb. He dropped it in your lap. You take him. Yep. That's that definitely the move that they had to make. 100%. But I'm still interested in seeing if they can rekindle some of that magic that they had earlier in the decade, or last decade, I should say, about how they used their top draft picks. He's KD Drummond. Join us next week on the Cowboys Wire podcast. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.